0: Oh, hey, Jack. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. I'm feeling really uh, full of self-esteem
1: this morning. Me too. I have an unusually high amount of self-confidence and like a feeling of self-worth.
0: Yeah, this sure is great. I don't know if anything could ruin the... Oh, no. Oh, shit. It's Chelsea. Look away. Avert your eyes.
2: I see you, Jamie.
0: No, 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 no.
2: Look into my eyes.
1: You can't make me.
2: Look into my eyes, Jamie. Oh, God! I see who you really are. Oh, God, I'm so ashamed. I spent my last paycheck on pogs. Uh, okay, but I sense there's something even deeper that you're guilty about.
1: You're right. Oh, I've been holding this in for so long. When we watched the movie Monster Hunter... I actually liked it a lot more than I admitted. Oh god no!
2: I'm so sorry. Now we know your true form.
0: Oh my god. It's like you killed him. It's worse than that. <laughs> you
2: Now you, Jack. You look at me. Look at my <laughs> eyes.
0: Oh my god. I see my shame. I
2: see I see what you're trying to hide from me. Admit it.
0: Oh, God. I, I've seen Cats 2019 five times. I've spent ten hours of my life watching that film.
2: Yes, I see what you're really guilty of.
0: <laughs> uh, but it was a trick all along. What? I'm not ashamed. Ten hours of my life... So far. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkle, here with my magical co hosts.
2: I'm Chelsea Hollowell. I'm not magical today, I'm a goat herder.
1: Are you a magical goat herder?
2: The goats are magical.
1: So you're a magical goat herder?
2: Okay, yeah. But I myself am mundane but made extraordinary by my trade.
0: I mean, it's a good association to have.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, if you get magic from somewhere, might as well be goats. Agreed.
2: Right. And it's their headbutts that are magical. (laughs) They have healing restorative (laughs) powers, but you're injured at the same time.
0: (laughs) They'll heal you of one injury while adding a new one. Yeah. Maybe we can solve one problem with another. (laughs) Well, that's super neat and magical and <laughs> whimsical. <laughs> but uh I my name is Jack Olander, and I'm a concerned citizen of the castle. That makes sense. Because
2: Druckus or whatever it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, well uh Dunark? Dunark. <laughs> I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh I I'm pretty concerned about Clan Fox. Oh yeah, yeah. Their town criers have been spreading a lot of a lot of false information. I don't trust this. The news that comes from House Fox. A lot of fake it, updates. Yeah, <laughs> a, a lot of fake intel. Yeah, some sort of misleading information. Mm, that's understandable.
2: You know that makes so much sense, being as it's from Fox.
0: Yeah, you know how foxes are. Yeah, yeah. House Fox. (laughs) And their fabricated truths.
1: (laughs) Well, guys, we've got a really fun movie to talk about today. But before we do that, we should probably give a shout out to our patrons.
2: Oh, shit. You're right. Whoa. Because they not only are listeners, but they give us extra support by giving us monthly donations that help keep the show running. And we really appreciate that.
1: And if you want to join our awesome patron community, you can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire and check out our monthly donation levels and the awesome extra stuff you get when you become a patron at those different
2: tiers. That's right. You get tons of cool perks. Like voting on movies that we'll watch and review, rewriting history episodes. And
0: and, ducks.
2: Yeah, duck art.
0: Courtesy of our very own Jack. They're on the way. They come in (laughs) flocks.
2: That's true. That's right.
0: Duck art, it's a quacket.
2: (laughs) So, how could you miss that?
1: That's right. But enough ruthless shilling. Let's talk about this week's movie, which is. The Shamer's Daughter, because we are starting our Norse Movie Month.
2: That's right. Where we're
1: going to be talking about movies either from Scandinavia or with Scandinavian settings. So we're really excited because at the end of the month, we're going to be talking about the new Robert Eggers movie, The North Man. Egg. The North Egg. <laughs> i guess the implication is that his family's career used to be making eggs because he's an egger
2: or growing them (laughs) laying them (laughs) some
1: common some egg related vocation was in his family
0: line
2: how are eggs made
0: you cough up an egg one time and no one lets you live it down
2: it's true
1: so for anyone who's not aware, this is the director of some of our favorite movies like The Vavitch and yeah. The Lighthouse. Yes. So all movies with The in the name, of course. The. <laughs> That's the important thread that runs through his films.
2: That's his signature.
1: Yeah. But we're really excited to see The Northman and to talk about it.
2: Definitely. It
1: looks awesome.
2: I get excited when we do our outings.
1: But yeah, so we're doing Viking... And or Scandinavian themed films, and this
2: fantasy as well.
1: Yes, I think the north. I'm hoping the nor- Northman has fantasy elements. It seems to.
2: It seems to involve the gods and like divination magic. So,
1: but we're kind of uh, telling the listeners how the sausage gets made, or how- or how the egg gets made here. The egg. <laughs> egg. And, anyways, that's not the movie we're <laughs> talking about this week because it's not even out yet. This week, we are talking about the Danish film, The Shamers' Daughter, based on the book of the same name by author Lene Kjaberbol.
2: And it's actually part of a series called The Shamers' Series.
1: Yeah, that's right. When we were watching this movie, I was informed that there's actually a sequel to the film that's already been released.
2: We just keep starting all these franchises, and we're going to have to, like, tie up these loose threads someday. Or maybe not. Just leave you with listening blue balls. It'll
1: be like a Elden Ring quest where, you know, you, you expect that you're going to get some kind of satisfaction at the end, and really, everything just falls apart.
2: <laughs> mm. pretty, pretty realistic there.
1: Yeah, exactly. But okay, let's talk about The Shamer's Daughter. This movie was directed by Kenneth Keynes, written by Anders Thomas Jensen, and the book author, K. Averboel, and is in the language Danish. Fun fact.
2: That's right.
1: So we watched it with subtitles, because that's how we, as English speakers, have to watch Danish movies.
2: Double the subtitles, double the fun. (laughs) (laughs) We accidentally started watching it with two different sets of subtitles on.
1: That's because the streaming service we were watching on, which we're not going to promote, had a subtitles option, and also the movie itself has subtitles. So it was just showing the same thing in two screens, and it was ridiculous. It was cursed. But, you know, there's a lot to say about this movie. Before we get into that, we should probably have a summary of the events of the film.
2: Yeah, I suppose
1: betrayal yes this is a movie about betrayal it's
2: true but that's kind of like the main plot
0: (laughs) (laughs) which uh, of course is irrelevant (laughs) is this a dark souls yeah
2: but uh dina she's just you know Trying to figure out what her new powers are and what they mean.
1: Shaming. Am I right?
2: True. But not for her. For everybody else.
1: Well, yeah. She's a shamer, not a shamee.
2: Exactly. And And she she, has
1: nothing to be ashamed of.
2: She inherited this from her mother, Madama, who's also a shamer. So when they look into people's eyes directly, eye-to-eye contact...
1: Chelsea, stop doing it to me.
2: It's dangerous. So don't try to replicate it at home.
1: That's right. Never look anybody else in the eyes.
2: Because you can look into people's souls that way and make them feel shame for what they've done.
1: (laughs) I don't need somebody to (laughs) stare me in the
0: eyes to feel shame for what I've done.
2: Or at least if you're Dina or Madama and they're lying, you can.
0: (laughs) You can also force people to do it with your psychic brain powers.
2: It's true. And uh, Dina had two... Mundane siblings, Davin and Melly.
1: Sweet Davin and sweet Melly.
2: See, I want to know what they were up to while all of the action was going down in at what was the castle's name again? Dunark. At Dunark Castle.
1: But alas, we'll never know.
2: I know. I have to just imagine that they're doing their chores.
1: Chelsea wanted to watch an entire movie of two. Elementary age children
0: doing chores.
2: Hey, Davin is almost an adult.
0: I imagine them just getting up to mischief in a music video montage to where the monkeys. People say we <laughs> monkey around.
2: <laughs> yes. That would be
0: pretty incredible.
2: At least Melly would be, and Davin would be trying to herd her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A
0: little bit of an odd couple type of situation. Yeah. <laughs> Dina and her mom
1: get home, and the kids are just like, wow. You guys got it off easy. You won't believe the day we had. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, they... we almost both died. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess we should talk about that. So, Madama, Mama Madama.
1: Madama, Mom, da- Mom Dama.
2: <laughs> Mom Dama is called to Castle Dunark to settle a dispute because Nicodemus, the heir to the lordship is obviously framed, but nobody believes his innocence.
1: But what is he framed for?
2: Murdering his father, stepmother, baby mama, and his little brother. <laughs> now see, Chelsea
1: is leaving out the most important detail. He kill- <laughs> He's being framed for killing the lord of the castle, which is based. So yeah. I say make him king.
2: Yeah. But his uh, half-brother, Draken is really keen on framing him because he wants to be the heir convenient.
1: Yes, he wants to usher in the age of the dragons and let the age of the ravens fall away.
2: Thank you, Jamie.
0: Some sort of season of the dragon more than an age of a dragon. (laughs) Yes, yes. A dragon for all seasons? Yeah.
2: (laughs) So Nico, as he is nicknamed, denies his guilt. So they bring in the shamer they don't believe her, but they know that Dina has inherited Mama Dama's abilities, so she <laughs> they bring her in too,
1: yeah, it's kind of a weird setup where they're like, "Oh, well, the mom said he's innocent. Let's get a second opinion from a teenager." Because teenagers well, are always known for it, being level-headed and reasonable.
2: Is a 10-year-old a teenager?
1: No, You know I am terrible with age. One of them two digiters <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tween!
1: As far as I can tell, she's somewhere between the ages of 5 and 25.
2: All right. It's true. See? <laughs> Technically. I am
1: terrible with determining people's ages. I believe this is a theme that longtime listeners will be familiar with.
2: So, it seems like Dina might have a stronger ability than her mother, and even some psychic domination powers like Jack was talking about.
0: That's right.
2: And she can kind of force people to do her will to a certain extent.
0: At the very least, she
1: can stunlock people with her (laughs) shame. Shaming sense. Her
2: shame ray. Her shame
1: (laughs) sense is tingling.
2: I like shame ray.
0: (laughs) Um... It's a gaze attack. Get Shem rocked. Wait, no. <laughs>
2: so she gaze... Wrong country. Yeah. So she gaze attacks Nico and finds out that he's guilty of a few no-no things, but not killing his family.
1: <laughs> like, no-no things. He definitely did some no-no things. Yeah. Broke a few social taboos. Yeah. But, I mean, this movie's all about breaking taboos, so.
2: Drakken just doesn't like it. He doesn't like that for himself. So he decides that he has to get rid of Dina.
1: Well, no. Specifically, he decides he's going to frame Nico for another murder.
2: True. But then Dina had a little knife hidden in her belt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are you going to do with that knife, huh?
2: And she stabbies. She
1: stabbies, <laughs>
2: stabbies Draken a few times and gets away.
1: And Gives even him the though, old stabby. Even
2: though he had uh drunk some dragon blood to make himself stronger. It it still was a surprise attack.
1: I told you this movie with the Dark Souls. Dragon Power.
2: So there's a lot of like little intricate details of this plot. Let's just say that both Nico and Dina get away and they are helped by a few friends around the castle, in the town around the castle. They're captured again. They get away because the Master of Arms is shamed by Dina into helping her. And let's
1: not forget that they meet uh, Dina's new BFF, Rose.
2: That's right. And Rose has nothing to be ashamed of. And they just have this like magical moment of smiling at each other and seeing each other's true souls. And like now they're besties. I love it. It is
0: like a serious, magical, wholesome moment because there's like golden light shining yeah. around her and everything. It's just like whoa! <laughs> and it's you, really you high see impact. See,
2: Rose's whole world change that day. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah. She's had a bit of a rough life, and this realization that she has nothing to be ashamed of is a is a big deal for her. But we're yeah. going to talk about that in a minute here. So
0: yes.
2: Then Draken wants to kill Mama Dama.
1: He basically wants to kill everybody.
2: So. Even though the Master at Arms tried to get Dina and Rose and help them escape, they refused and and shamed him into helping them rescue Mama Dama. And uh, so they go back to the castle. Um, It's one of those, you know, stories where they go back and forth from one location a lot.
1: One of those will they, won't they be eaten by a dragon stories.
2: Yeah. So there's a big confrontation at the end where the dragons are involved. Dina, with the help of all of her new allies, is able to confront Draken and get him to admit that he killed the Lord and Lady and his young half-brother so that he could be the lord of these lands. But he's not ashamed of it, and he won't admit to it, which means he's not guilty. Phooey. <laughs> and so the, some allies hop out and like help them all escape. And they get away from the dragons that are roaming around the courtyard trying to kill all the citizens. And um they all escape into exile, and Draken is just yelling no in the background and pissed off.
1: Yeah, ostensibly it ends with Draken able to maintain his lordship, maybe? But... Knowing that Nico is still out there and could probably someday come back to reclaim his throne, yeah, but that's a story for another film,
2: yeah, Nico and friends have like a party at their place of exile, which is like a pretty cushy spot,
1: yeah, that's a pretty rad place to be exiled. It's like a mountain fortress with like a just great party scene, yeah, and a great view,
2: and they all seem pretty happy there,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming that things are gonna like escalate in the next movie, but for the time being, it's a pretty good life they've got going.
2: And just, you know, so everybody's comfortable and to assuage your anxiety that you might be feeling like right now because we haven't said what happened to them. Don't worry. Davin and Melly somebody came and got them and they're at this fortress with the family too.
1: (laughs) Yes, very important. Yeah. Great detail.
2: I was concerned.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't remember that she had siblings.
2: (laughs) It surprised me at the end.
0: I was like, oh yeah, Davin! (laughs) Davin and the other one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's what happens in the movie. We can probably head into the delve now. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Shamer's Daughter. So, guys, right off the bat, let's talk about shame magic and shame-based spells in general.
2: Okay. Spells, even. Well, I mean, she's a
1: spellcaster. Dina and her mom are spellcasters, right?
2: Are they?
0: They have spell-like abilities.
1: Yeah.
2: They're not really casting spells. Spells involve ritual and ritual components.
1: They have a ritual. They stare you in the eyes.
2: (laughs) I guess so. It's more like a raw psychic ability.
0: Sure. Is peeing on somebody a spell? Because you have to pee on them? What's their magical effect? The shame based magic is just you look at them, right? In my mind, those are analogous. (laughs) What magic stems from being peed on? It placebos you into feeling like your jellyfish sting doesn't hurt anymore. It's a healing spell.
2: <laughs> it is a healing spell.
0: <laughs> okay, I guess you got me there yeah. on a technicality.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to talk about uh, the the central idea that this whole film and ostensibly the series revolves around, which is this ability to see into somebody's soul, I guess, for lack of a better word, or their backstory, it's backstory vision. (laughs) And then they live in a setting where for somebody to be guilty of a crime, they have to admit to the crime. So there's a high value placed on honesty in the society that we're seeing here. And there's these people who at this point at least seem to mostly be or exclusively be women who have this magical ability. So, we're drawing on a lot of themes throughout like medieval folklore and European like magical traditions.
2: It also seems like a recessive trait because not all of Madama or Madama Mama, Mm. not all of her children have this ability, only Dina.
1: Well, we don't know if Melly's going to inherit it
0: someday.
2: Madama and Dina have a conversation saying that the other two siblings don't have the ability. Oh, well, there you go. Because Dina kind of thinks it's a curse and she's lamenting the fact that it wasn't one of her other siblings that got it. And her mom tries to convince her it's a gift and that it makes her special.
1: Well, so that touches on some important stuff that we see at the very beginning of this movie. And it's that being a shamer is both... A revered and a reviled quality in the society around Dunark and this world that we're peering into in the film.
2: Yeah, so a good way to frame that, and it's kind of like the central theme, like you're saying, is that knowledge is something that can both help and be dangerous.
1: Specifically in this case, it is how this inherited magical ability can be a real boon for society because it can help somebody to suss out a crime committed by another person. But it also puts somebody on the periphery of society because there's a lot of fear around that individual. Like at the very beginning of the movie, we see Dina being harassed by some other children of her own age, more or less. And they're afraid of her. They make fun of her. She's basically an outcast, and that's why she doesn't want to have this power, right?
2: She and her whole family are, because of their, their mother has the ability to, and so, like you said, they live on the periphery, they're kind of in the country, they don't live too close to town, because, like you said, people fear them as much as they need their help.
1: Right, and so they're a necessary part of society, but much like in our own society, in a highly stratified society... It really benefits those in charge to have a lower class that they can kind of shit on however they want and to guide the enmity of the populace at so that nobody ever looks up top at the ivory tower and is like, wait a minute, you're actually the ones, you lords and kings and everything are the ones telling us to hate the people below us, but we should really be mad at you.
2: And actually what you're describing is what Dina gets everybody to realize at the end by shaming an entire crowd. That's why she's so much more powerful than her mom.
1: Yeah, at the end of the movie, like we're we're just we'll jump to it. Like Dina is on the executioner's it's not a guillotine, it's literally a dragon platform to be eaten by a dragon on. A dragon on. post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's looking around at the crowd and just like shaming all these commoners and peasants into realizing that they are giving in to draken's like focused hatred towards dina and her mother when they should be angry at draken who's trying to repress them
2: and guilty of the crime that he's accusing others of
1: and like that is shown to very quickly be made explicit because at that point draken's like fuck
0: it i'll just release the dragons on the crowd then." Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good uh, tactic right there. Oh, you don't like me now? Die! <laughs> it's also a great metaphor for the police brutality.
1: Unquote, <laughs> I was gonna say for quote unquote upper class behavior.
2: Yes, who use the police to keep people down?
1: In this case, the
0: police are guards, but also dragons. <laughs> yeah. So the dragons are the Pinkertons, and the shamers are the unions, and... Yes, exactly. Dina is trying to unionize the peasants.
1: Yes. Not exactly, but... No. (laughs) Kind
2: of, though. She's trying to get them to realize class solidarity.
1: Exactly. So what we're saying is this whole movie is about class struggle.
2: It's true. Because
1: Dina and her mother and family are, like, the bottom of the barrel as far as... But also
2: separate. So it's interesting. They're kind of in both places.
1: Sure. But as much as they are a necessary component, they are an easy target. Yes. This is hardly a theme that is not present throughout our own very real lives. So it should be familiar. If you're not familiar with this, look around yourself and look at the people who those in power tell you to hate. And whether and then determine for yourself... Whether or not, uh maybe that's misguided. Spoilers, it's misguided.
2: Yeah. Save
1: your enmity for those in charge. Yeah. Was that
0: a social spoiler
1: right there? <laughs> yes, it was. Thank you. Spoilers for your own life, listeners.
2: So the um shamers are in a precarious position because they provide a necessary service. But then if somebody in power doesn't like the results and what they say based on their abilities, then they just label them as a witch and get everybody to be down with murdering them.
1: It's a classic tactic that we've seen throughout history.
2: It's true. I mean, in the past, in our reality, it was to uh, remove women or other people from positions of power. The marginalized. Yeah, or take their property away or if they weren't property holders but they were like medicine people usually women and they perhaps threatened the authority of the region then they could be removed in the same way
1: and that is precisely what dina and her mother are doing in this circumstance they are being called in to validate draco's version of reality which is that nico committed the murders of his family when in fact, Draken is actually the perpetrator. He's framing Nico because Nico's family was in power, and Draken is his half brother who despises the family.
2: Right. And he thinks he should be in power. His mother is kind of behind the scenes. She's really creepy, dude. Oh,
1: yeah. Wow. The, the mother of Draken is a terrifying character in this film.
2: The actress has such an amazingly expressive face that and she is so adept at making these sinister facial expressions it's
0: like a smiling scowl yeah and she has impressive black uh plumage on all of her outfits oh yeah very which is
2: fascinating because they are overthrowing the house of the ravens and they're the house of dragons
1: yeah i mean she's still in the plumage of the old Guard.
2: Yeah. Which she was kind of paying lip service to because that's who was in power before. When
1: well, she had had an affair with the Lord.
2: Yeah. That's how we got Draken.
1: So, yeah, Draken has a lot of enmity for the family because he feels like he has always been. Well, he's had to hide his identity, right?
2: Yeah. Although, to the family and people of the castle, he always claimed that he was Ebenezer's son. But nobody really believed him. And then when he took power, he like kind of officially proclaimed it. Right.
0: It was also kept secret from Nicodemus. Because it's a reveal in the movie to him.
2: Right. It's unclear why it was kept a secret from him.
1: Well, also Lord Ravens is a shithead. Because Nicodemus basically is ashamed of the fact that his father calls him a weakling and has just disrespected him his whole life.
0: It's true. Yeah. Nicodemus's dad says he's not good enough. Pretty much his entire life is what he's heard. Draken, when we see he's getting shamed by Dina, uh, we see his mom kind of planting these seeds like, you know, you're actually the one who's meant to rule. Right. right? You're going to be in charge one day. And in a lot of ways,
1: Draken is the more. Uh, let's say, archetypal real-world king. He's a ruthless asshole who will literally murder his own brother to take power.
2: Yeah, and Nicodemus is younger than him, but he is the one who's actually proclaimed as a son, so he was the heir.
1: Right. And He's the quote-unquote legitimate son.
2: They were raised to think of each other as cousins.
1: But they were always in competition with each yeah. other. And Draken was the better swordsman.
2: So he is the eldest, and that's probably why he thinks he should rule based on that antiquated uh inheritance and like legitimacy.
1: And again, he's the bigger shithead. Norm. So a better king.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Historically speaking, in real world terms. So he's not a was- better king. But a more likely
0: king. He
2: was a shithead who wanted power and wanted his, like, inheritance that he thought he had a right to. And so he was just going to take it.
0: That's right. Also, how much older is he than Nicodemus? Can't be very much older. Unclear. It seems like it could be, like, five days. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I mean, it's possible
0: because they have different mothers. Or like a year or two. It's supposed maybe.
2: to be a few years.
1: They were like sword training and stuff together as youths. So they were they're within a close.
0: That's why Huge it seems kind of unfair to be hard on Nicodemus for losing to him, because if he's even a year older developmentally, he's going to be so much more advantaged, <laughs> right? Jack, that Drakken, That yeah.
1: shows tremendous emotional maturity that I don't think Danish lords had. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, um, medieval,
1: possibly otherwise, but certainly medieval.
2: In the book, Nicodemus is supposed to be 17.
1: That's that tracks with what I'm assuming the casting is supposed to imply because they cast like probably a 25 year old, which they usually cast a
0: 17 year old. I was going to guess them. (laughs) Like, I thought he was like in his mid to late
1: 20s. Maybe this is why I'm bad with age because I watch so many movies and TV shows and everyone's always
0: cast Way off yeah. for, their, for the age that they're supposed to be. It's true. I mean, I don't know about a 17 year old lord. <laughs> I'm just, nah, I'm not sure. How about no lords at all? Yeah, that's right. Even better. I didn't vote for him. How about a <laughs>
1: parliament of the people?
0: Yeah.
2: That's just crazy, Jamie.
1: You're right. I shouldn't even talk about these thoughts in public.
2: The idea that people should own the profit of their labor
1: unheard of That
2: sounds like a dangerous thought to me.
1: Seems ignorant. <laughs> we should probably keep doing what we do now and never let anything change it.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, uh so uh instead of a House of Ravens or a House of Dragons, we want a House of Representatives, is what you <laughs> That's a crazy. House of Commons? Wait, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs>
1: Not that. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean this movie does a really good job of portraying a very believable socio political system with people on the top and people on the bottom. And then I love how, in a lot of ways, the unwashed masses are present and not present in this movie. It's really interesting that what would account for, like, the kind of middle class, which is not quite right, but like the peasantry are numerous and they have more freedoms than Dina and her family do, but obviously far less than Draken and Nico's families do, there's not really many characters from that cohort except for Rose. Yeah. Yes. And Rose, in my opinion, is one of the best characters in this film. Yeah.
2: I'm glad you brought her up because I wanted to talk about fictive kin or found family.
1: Let's do it.
2: So... I mean, there is a lot of family, like, yes. blood-related family in this movie. But Because there's...
1: this is a prequel to The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yes. yes.
2: But there's also quite a bit of found family. So Again,
1: prequel to The Fast and the Furious. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: We have a few characters that fit into this role, and they kind of create a new family together by the end. But we have Nico, or Nicodemus, and Rose. And so let's talk about Rose first.
1: Let's talk about meeting
2: Rose. Yeah.
1: Dina is out escaping from Draken's guards and thugs. And she is tired from running away from a life-threatening circumstance.
2: And it's raining like cats and dogs.
1: So she ducks into a barn and plops down. And then Rose's head pops up from behind her. And she's like, hey, get out of here. This is my sleeping spot. I've got a knife. (laughs) And Dina's just like, that's cool. I'm just going to sleep here. And Rose is like, no, I have a knife. You can't sleep here. And Dina's like, no, it's all good. And then goes to sleep. And Rose is just like, well, fuck. All right. I guess it's fine. And then also goes to sleep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Dina was basically too tired to care if she lived or (laughs) died.
1: relatable
2: i don't i also think that she instinctively knew that rose wouldn't really hurt her
1: probably but it's a great scene where these two meet in this very rough circumstance they wake up and dina convinces rose to
0: take her home that was in the morning uh they have a deal Where Dina shames a baker into giving her a piece of bread because Rose is hungry, and she's like, oh, Rose, I'll share it, but you gotta give me clothing, right? Right. A disguise. So that's when Rose
1: takes Dina back to her house, which she's sleeping outside of because she has a shithead older brother who abuses both Rose
2: and- Their mother. Their
1: mother. And then- Dina shames him for being a huge shithead using her magic.
2: Yeah, saying that you're afraid that we're all laughing at you, and we are. Oh, it's so good.
1: She just cuts Owen to the quick. It's amazing. Although eventually it does lead to some trouble for Dina. But yeah. But yeah, so Rose helps Dina get some new clothes, gives her a sweet haircut, and then they kind of become inseparable best friends.
2: Well, that's after Rose kind of. Like says to Dina, you are the Shamer's daughter, I've been hearing about you, I saw what you did to my brother and then she's like, okay, sh- come here and she says like yeah, it's true, that's who I am and uh, Dina's like, yeah, it's true, you don't have to like look me in the eyes if you don't want to and Rose is like I do. Like I want to know more about this and she's like, "Really? Nobody ever says that."
1: Yeah, Rose is I mean, Rose is this great like pure soul character who is interested in Dina who like is probably the first friend outside of her family that Dina's ever had.
0: Yeah, in the past when Dina has wanted to play with other children, they say like you're unusual. You yeah. can't play with us. You're right? a Hexen, a witch. Yeah, th- they don't say she's weird. Specifically, they use a strange word like, you are uncommon. You're unusual. <laughs> okay, kid. <laughs> You're uncanny like one of them X-Men. Yeah, exactly. And so she like gets into fights with them and shames them and gets beat up for trying to be their friend. And then uh, Rose... Well, it's just like, yeah, shame me. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, when Dina does it, there's like this brilliant golden halo like aura that emanates out from behind her head. And there's like sparkles and glitter in the air. And she's just like, around, whoa.
2: Around both her and Rose. Yeah, yeah. And
0: she's like, you've got nothing to be ashamed of.
1: It's so good. The change on Rose's face. Up to this point, Rose has been standoffish for understandable reasons. She is abused by her brother. Her mother does nothing to help them. She's literally sleeping on the streets to get away from her family. She probably feels inside like she should be ashamed because that's how children are often taught through
0: negative reinforcement.
2: Well, and she's probably internalize what on tells her all the time
0: exactly that's exactly what dina says to her it's like oh yeah on tells you you're like not enough and that you should be ashamed about a lot of things but he's wrong because i have a magic ability that tells me he's wrong (laughs) 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 but yeah the look
1: on rose's face becomes just elated and it is the best scene in the movie
2: yeah it's an amazing acting moment too because they really linger on both of their faces after that point And it's really cool how Rose's face transforms. And that was a great moment that that actress embodied where she's kind of like shocked. And then the knowledge, like you can tell it's like slowly setting in because her face is like slowly transforming from that into a big smile.
0: It's true. And we said already that Rose was really standoffish and is smiling now but Dina was also that way for most of the film Yes. after this they're smiling a lot because they're friends and it looks so like whiplashy (laughs) because of how stern these characters are and now they're like really having a good time with each other after that it's nice it's really nice but it's like whoa snap they actually smile
2: it's like they've <laughs> never had a friend before and now they have a best friend <laughs> the tone yeah.
1: of the movie shifts a little bit there it's still a darker film like dealing with heavier themes but there's a little more levity i feel like in the characters at this point yeah. even as they're dealing with bigger things the i think maybe it's a sense of hope is coming through the characters
2: yeah now. and Friends, good friends can give us that sense of hope. And so I feel like that's realistic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Real family.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And um, Nico and Dina also have this kind of bond. Because she sees into his soul and she sees that he has some stuff to be ashamed of, but that he's still kind of like a good person. And he doesn't like hate her after that. They actually seem to grow closer after that.
1: That's a great point. This happens earlier in the film. Yeah. Dina and Nico become really close very quickly. And I think it has something to do with the magical power that Dina has to see into him, see that he has faults, but that he's not a bad person, that his intentions are good. And then her saying nice things to him like you shouldn't be ashamed of this stuff is probably the first time he's getting positive reinforcement. Because his family sucks.
2: Well, they also try to help save each other's lives right after that when Draken is attacking them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that can be a bonding experience, too. Yeah.
2: So that's probably part of it. But, yeah, I think it's also about how they're supportive of one another.
1: It's really nice. And then they spend the most of the movie then at that point trying to get back to each other. We don't see much of Nico's journey until, because uh, the movie is framed around Dina.
2: And there's a fake out where she thinks he's dead.
1: Right, where the alchemist's house explodes. And he was hiding under uh, the bridge all along, or like hanging off the side of the wall all along.
2: And I'm happy that this story centers around friendship and family, because you don't often get that.
0: I can't let us go by the alchemist's house without mentioning his perpetual motion machine. Thank you, Jack. Very important. It's not done yet. It's not perfected. But the motion looks pretty perpetual from the outside. I
1: like that they basically do the joke from The Simpsons that in this house we respect the law of thermodynamics. They're just like, this is impossible. The laws of physics will not allow a perpetual motion machine to work.
0: But I gotta try.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) That was Master Maunus. And he's kind of like Leonardo da Vinci.
1: Yeah, the Danish Da Vinci. Yeah. Dane Vinci. (laughs) He lives in a house that is hanging off the side of the wall over the ocean.
2: He's a kooky inventor, Jamie.
1: I mean, he lives
0: up to the archetype. I I like Maunus. Can I offer you some perpetual motion in this trying time? No, I don't (laughs) want that. It doesn't even help in any way. It's
2: also similar to the way people have uh, portrayed merlin sometimes
0: yeah he's a little bit of a hodgepodge of characters
1: yeah. but he's a
0: fun character yeah he reminds me of the character from the beloved favorite merlin the return
2: oh god it's true though
0: oh you mean like the scene
1: where Mountis is running through town in his tidy whities <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't put it past him
2: <laughs> yeah or to have tidy whities <laughs> um, what so- does the wizard
1: wear under his robes
2: so, Dina acquires all of these friends who become so close they are like family. To anybody who. She's
1: building the adventuring party!
2: Yeah! To anybody who knows her and isn't afraid of facing their fears and the things that they're ashamed about. It seems like what they're saying about this movie in the people that kind of hate the shamers is that those people are their own worst enemy because their greatest fear seems to be looking back on what a shitty person they are.
1: (laughs) And honestly, that is one of the most believable themes throughout this entire movie, because I feel like this idea that people are more ashamed of their actions than they are like, say for example, angry at another person is probably really true in reality. A lot of times And then they express it at anger directed at somebody else. So you think about, like, I think of the example of, like, when you're driving and somebody, like, cuts you off and you honk at them and then they start losing their mind at you. It's like, well, you're the one who did the bad thing. You don't like that I am calling you out in the form of, say, honking for you doing a bad thing that endangered us all. Right. And then they will react in such a strong way as to continue endangering the lives of those around them
2: it's true
0: yeah when Dina first meets Nico it's after her mom has already shamed him right and when Draken brings Dina in Nico's like please I can't handle more right yeah he's begging uh Dina not to do it he
1: doesn't want to look back on his shame of his father basically treating him like shit his whole life
0: yeah and when Dina makes him look into her eye he sees the whole the father shaming him and he's accepted that shame into himself and then uh also he seduced his stepmom that one time but uh you know (laughs) but it's mostly the dad shame again it's not that he doesn't have
1: anything to be ashamed of it's that he didn't kill his family
0: yeah i thought but that's what i'm saying i think is so neat nico is framed as one of the heroes yes And someone who you should feel good about taking over as Lord. And he has things that he's ashamed of. I think that's sick. Because normally the Rose Pure of Heart character, you would assume they're going to put in charge.
1: And if they wanted to make Rose the Lord of the land, I would be okay with that. Yeah. But I like your point, Jack, that we're not getting this perfect Paragon character, this unattainable icon. Nico's a flawed person, but he's not a bad guy. Yeah. He he wouldn't necessarily
0: be a bad ruler in the context of this world in this film. Yeah. And uh, if they put Rose in charge, it would kind of be a real Padme Amidala (laughs) situation. (laughs) I've been elected for my third term as your queen. <laughs> Aren't you 14? Well, naturally. <laughs> okay,
1: bad me. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. I like that Nico is not supposed to be this perfect guy. He's just not that bad. Where Draken is a huge shithead and he's not even ashamed of it, which I think is pretty understandable in real-world context too, like maybe not necessarily that People aren't ashamed of their actions sometimes, but that the people who think that they should be in charge of other people will press down their shame and like just not let it worry them because they have such ego trips that they don't think they have anything to be ashamed
0: of. Right. And Draken really heavily values his mother's opinion. And a lot of what he's done throughout the film, she's really been supportive of. So it's a lot easier for him to suppress shame at killing the lords. Great point. Because she's like, way to go, kiddo. You're doing great. And you're justified. You, This is your birthright.
2: It seems like she's been encouraging him to do this for a while. Definitely. Like, Ebenezer wouldn't marry her because he didn't want her to have power. And so this was actually her retribution against him she's just as guilty if not more so than draken who actually did the act because it's pretty clear that she's the one who encouraged him to do it
0: it's true so it's a lot easier for him not to feel shame the other part of it is that he and his mom are jacked up on dragon blood yes as well let's talk about dragon blood
2: they're like addicts it 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 seems to work on them like a drug
1: so dragon blood gives you increased strength and vigor it seems like extended health and longevity
2: you can drink it straight or no chaser infused in wine
1: i guess that's the chaser is it like cocaine
2: Kind of. It it hops them up. It's like an upper.
1: A magical upper.
2: Yeah. Um, it gives you strength. So it seems like it's prolonging his mother's life.
1: They basically extract it through like a dragon's head brass tap that they stick into the dragon. And it like drains out it's from like a, a dragon's mouth.
2: It's like a hollow blade. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's actually kind of a neat little magical artifact that are like world building object that they have that i thought was really cool
0: yeah juice that dragon because at
1: first i'm like what the fuck is he doing and then he sticks it in and the blood starts coming out i'm like oh it's a spigot for a dragon
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's his favorite drink
0: yeah he's suckling on the dragon spigot we all know what that's like the dragons in this also are not your typical fantasy dragons they're wingless they're wingless and they're they call them basically like Extra large lizards, pretty much, as, like, a derogatory term. Yeah, I don't... I'm
1: wondering if maybe some Scandinavian dragons are different than we tend to think of.
2: Yeah, they don't have wings. But But
1: they're really cool in the movie. And they're they're clearly magical to some extent.
2: They're basically, like, small dinosaurs or large lizards. That's (laughs)
0: right. But no feathers. Right. Yes. And they're juiced. Yeah. Their juice is magical, though.
2: Um... So it's like a drug, too, because over time it seems like you need more and more to get the same effect. Yes. Like his mother doesn't drink it very much, so a few drops in wine seems to have a pretty big effect on her. She, like, shivers and looks rejuvenated.
1: It's just to level out.
2: That's for Draken. It's just to level out because he, drink- he puts a few drops in his wine and there's almost no reaction from him. Oh, okay, yeah. And, um, he, he, earlier in the movie, he drank a whole goblet and that's when he felt like really juiced up.
1: Yeah. That's right. Before he decides to, uh, kill Dina and frame Nico for that too.
2: Yeah. So it seems to like affect their mental capabilities too. And they act less like a human with empathy.
1: Draken just kind of has one plot and it's always frame Nico. (laughs)
0: I think it also has healing powers because Dina stabbed him multiple times and then Nico stabbed him through the neck. Yeah. And he's Nico's like, yeah, he's dead for sure. I'm pretty sure. And then he's not. And then he's not dead.
2: He seemed like totally healed from the wounds.
0: He certainly doesn't have a big hole in his neck. No. That's not supposed to be there.
2: So that's why I was saying I think it's prolonging his mother's life because she has this strange waxy quality to her skin and she's very old but still kind of got has the vigor of youth in a way
0: yeah certainly the evil of youth the bloodlust as well she tried to kill dina with a with a melee weapon in one scene
2: yeah that was wild jump
0: scare too she can move real quick yeah Yeah. that was creepy as hell yeah that was a spooky scene but there's one more character that we've barely touched
1: on that i think we got to talk about here And that's the Weapon Master. Yes. Yes. Very important character. He represents an opposition to Draken who is nevertheless lawful and will go along with what Draken says up to a point, but he is not feeling good about it. Yeah. So the Weapon Master is an older, wiser knight warrior who's clearly been around for a long time
2: who serves the lords of the castle
1: yeah he's a he's a man at arms
2: basically yeah. um so he will serve whoever is in power like you said Jamie because he's lawful
0: it's true he follows the rules but you could say he's ashamed of it you could yeah. because when dina
1: shames him she sees that he's a warrior he's killed a lot of people she says you've killed a lot of people That's not what you're ashamed of. That was war. Yeah. You're ashamed of letting Draken get away with his plot. And the weapon master's like, yep, you fucking got me.
2: And And she shames him into helping them and getting other, finding other people that served under him who are still loyal to Nico to help him out.
1: Yeah. There's a wild scene where he's basically going around the castle to the guards being like, okay, Draken's a shithead. Who's still loyal to the Ravens family? And he's like talking to two of the guards. And the one guy goes, No, Draken is our lord. And they kind of both like intone towards that. But as the other guy is getting ready to strike at the weapons master, his buddy just stabs him in the back.
2: Like, I know. nope,
1: I'm loyal to the Ravens. It's like, whoa, shit, dude.
2: I did not see that coming.
1: <laughs> really hype. <laughs> yes. That scene was pretty epic. It's a high
0: impact scene for sure.
2: I know. And so this is how the master at arms is finding out who's still loyal to him and the Ravens.
0: Yeah, and I just want to point out, when they asked, are you still loyal to Draken? The guy who is loyal to Draken immediately was like, yep, I am. And the idea that you're not means it's time to die. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, they didn't even say they were plotting against him or what their plans were. You're yeah. just like, time to kill.
2: I know, they they could have been testing his loyalty, but he didn't wait to find out.
0: Yeah. But
1: so the uh, the weapon master fulfills a pretty classic role in this story, too, which is the duty-bound... But hesitant character, right? He's supposed to kill Dina. Draken says, "Like you need to take her and deal with her." We're g- first off. Draken says he's going to kill Dina publicly, and the Weapon Master is like, "You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't publicly execute a child. young child." <laughs> I'll go deal with her, right? And we as the audience are already like, "Ah, he's probably doing the thing, and he's doing the thing." He's, he's like, yeah. "Okay, he's taking Dina out." Being like, I'm letting you go. Of course, you're just a kid, but your mom's gonna die tomorrow. And that's when Dina's like, No, I'm not gonna let you guys kill my mom. Shames him into helping join the rebellion, basically.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think that the master at arms and Nico fill an interesting role to send an important message that even if you make mistakes that you feel ashamed of, you can still come back from that and you can learn from those mistakes and do better. Exactly. And it's like, we all have this chance at redemption. If we can admit things that we've done that are wrong or that we think are wrong and, and like learn from that and improve.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because it, the movie is not saying that only people without shame are worthy, right? Rose has nothing to be ashamed of because she's a young kid. Right. She hasn't done anything that will follow her for the rest of her life at this point.
2: And that's not to say that she hasn't done things that would technically be crimes, because...
1: Yeah, she's she, like an urchin, effectively. Yeah,
2: she's has stolen from people, but Dina tells her she has nothing to be ashamed of. She was put into this position where she had to do that to survive.
1: Yeah, but so Rose is like an exemplar, but... Again, she's young. She's going to make mistakes in her future and maybe have some things to be ashamed of like all people potentially can. But she's still a really good character. And then similarly, Nico and the Weapons Master have done things to be ashamed of and they can redeem themselves. So it's not saying that once you've done an act that is shameful, you're forever tarnished by it. Right. You have the potential to make amends through your actions. I think that's one of the best themes throughout this entire movie, that people can make a decided and concerted effort to be better in the future.
2: It says something about who you are as a person, what you do when you're confronted with your mistakes, what you do after that point, you know? Totally. And that's what they are communicating through the message of this theme.
1: All right, well, we've talked a lot about this movie. I think we can probably head into The Smithy. Welcome to The Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating between one and 10 dragon spigots? Oh boy, do
0: I? Yes, I do. (laughs) Uh, My epic moment is, uh, I think I already called it epic in the delve. It's when she shames Rose because that moment feels so good because Rose is a, a troubled person. She has a lot of things she struggles with. Like, she doesn't trust people very easily, she feels a lot of shame, and she's, you know, she has a very difficult life, but in that moment, she realizes that the shame that she's holding has been put on her by other people, and that she hasn't actually done anything that she should feel ashamed of, and it's just so sick. I and it. yeah. it's such a great bonding moment. We've already touched on it a lot in the delves, so I don't need to go over it a lot again. But it it is basically so epic, it elevates the entire movie with it, how good that one scene is. The
1: wholesomeness alone adds points. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, And looking at the film as a whole... Such a cool concept. When we read the description of this movie, like, a year and a half, two years ago, we when we first learned about this movie, we wanted to see it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It's so cool. Someone looks into your eyes and you see all your shame. That's sick, right? <laughs> yeah. Really cool, unique power. And a society that, ha- like, is built to include those people is really interesting. Right? Yeah, it's incorporated nicely into the world building. Yeah. And
2: they seem like an important part of the justice system.
0: It's true. And that makes sense. And a lot of the characters in this movie are really cool and likable. I think they all shine really clearly. Nico's a cool character. I like the inventor guy. The perpetual motion. Perpetual <laughs> motion. Perpetual motion. and uh, Is it perpetual? Motion. And uh, Rose is great. Uh, Just the mom. Uh, I think all the characters are really well done. And so I I have very little to complain about this movie. It does this all in an hour and a half also. It fits so much in that amount of time. I know. Like all the characters feel fleshed out. That's hard to do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it is.
0: And so uh, taking everything into account... Uh, there, there are a few little quirky things at times with pacing and just like with the cinematography and everything, but I'll tell you what, I think I'm going to give this movie 10 out of 10 Whoa. dragon spigots. I, I'm probably going to watch this multiple times. Yeah. I'm going to really enjoy showing this to people. And, uh, it's just so cool. It feels good. I like it. 10 out of 10. Very nice.
2: That's great.
1: All right, Chelsea, how about you? What's your epic moment or feature and then a rating from one out of ten dragon spigots?
2: Well, my epic moment is at the end when they have their exile party. Yes! Nice! (laughs) They're, They're at this community in the mountains and they have all these cool like great halls and other structures built out of wood that are built right into the mountains, and it's so cool. And at the party, they're all having a good time and just dancing and playing music and talking to each other. And you get the sense that it's not the end of all their struggles, but it's nice that this they is get
0: only the beginning.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's nice that they get this moment.
0: That's true. I don't know if we even mentioned. Nico has a chance to kill Draken, and he doesn't take it. Instead, they all run away into exile. Right? Yeah. True. And
1: that—that's an important scene that we barely got to touch on because that was harkening back to their childhood competition foisted on them by
0: their father. Yeah. That's right. And, and so they're in exile. Their troubles aren't gone. They just ran away. Yeah. It's
2: true. And they kind of have this understanding that they're going to have to deal with them at some point but they needed to take a step back to regroup and probably hone their skills to be able to deal with the threat and find new allies. So that's my epic moment. It was a great bonding moment. Uh, I agree with Jack that this is a well-crafted film, and it seems like it adapted the book really nicely and introduces so many characters. But it doesn't feel rushed. Really.
1: No, or over stuff with, con- like, exposition or anything.
2: And I think that, as Jack was saying, they do a good job of fleshing out the characters in such a short time through context clues. In how they relate to the other- to others around them, who is in opposition to them, who they're close to. And the nonverbal communication involved in all of those scenarios... And so they're able to do that in a very efficient way that is still meaningful. Yes. And I think that is, like you guys said, it's very difficult to do. And I think they deserve mad props for that. Totally. So I'm going to give this 9 out of 10 dragon spigots. Nice. For how well it's crafted. And, like, the sets and costumes are all great, Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Really good.
2: But what about you, Jamie. What's your epic moment or feature and your rating out of one to ten dragon spigots?
0: Yes, please,
1: Jamie. Tell us. So it's finally come to this, eh? Yeah. So my <laughs> epic moment. <laughs> All right. So my epic moment is during the scene when Draken has come to Manus the Alchemist's house and abducted Manus and Dina and they're looking for Nico and he's his soldier they're carrying them away and the alchemist is like uh I got to help Dina get out of here and like his house is full of like all these concoctions it burns down because they basically start like setting off his alchemical components and reagents and stuff and set his house on fire and it's filling with smoke and everything it explodes so, yeah the house explodes falls from its cliff <laughs> so, or like its wall side supports into the ocean, and Manus is like, "All right, like I'm gonna help Dina get out of here." And he undoes a vial on his pouch and throws it like a smoke bomb, and it just is like a little tiny explosion. And the soldiers are like, at first they're like, "Oh, don't do that," and then they're just laughing like, "Oh, you stupid old man, you're useless." And then he pulls out the big bomb and throws that and creates a huge kerfuffle that Dina escapes from. And it's just so funny. I love the misdirect of like, oh, this guy's actually kind of incompetent. His plan's not going to work. He was using that against the soldiers so that they would be even more shocked when something did work. They let their
2: guard down.
1: The guards let their guard down. (laughs) And it's just, I love how this movie can have funny moments like that and heartfelt moments and still be kind of dark and serious. Like there's a lot going on throughout the entire movie. So that's my favorite scene is the escape with the alchemist. But for my rating, wow, this is the type of movie that I love to do that for me, Swords and Satire is all about. We've done a lot of bigger, well-known films recently, and that can be super fun too. And I love doing that. But I especially love, for our show, doing a movie like this that most people have probably never even heard of. That if I wasn't somebody who obsessively looked through indie fantasy films, wouldn't have even known about. Because it doesn't come up in my orbit of anything else I am doing other than looking through obscure fantasy movies. So I was really looking forward to doing this movie, and it did not disappoint at all. All. Yeah. I love the world building. I love the acting. The actors are next level in a lot of ways. The younger actors are outstanding. Dina and Rose stand out from like all the movies we've ever reviewed on this show.
2: And I liked how Dina was moonlighting as a boy for a while. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. When
1: she gets the haircut and yeah. the new set of clothes. Yeah, that was fun.
2: And she has a very androgynous look. So. She definitely was passing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, that's a good point because this movie pulls on a lot of established tropes from familiar fantasy movies. But it never feels like it's just ripping off Mulan or ripping off like Sleeping Beauty or anything. Like it has elements and characters reminiscent of those stories. Like the weapons master taking Dina to quote unquote kill her, but not actually doing it.
2: Jamie, you're making me think of this awesome idea of rewriting Sleeping Beauty where she
1: is a warrior.
2: Is a warrior and she becomes the prince <laughs> that fights it back against the evil stepmother, but maybe that could be changed around too.
1: Well, take a look at our Patreon uh rewriting history at the end of the month and see what ends up happening. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this movie is, for me, for an indie fantasy movie, this is a total package. The world building is great. It feels like they tell a lot of story through subtle imagery and moments. They're not, like, just explaining everything. Some of the plot gets a little convoluted and a bit hard to follow. I don't know if that's a lost in translation thing, or if I'm just not good at reading subtitles or what. But I feel like Draken's plot is not super well fleshed out. He's not a especially compelling villain he doesn't have the redeeming quality that i like in a lot of villains yeah but i really would be remiss to give this movie anything less than 10 out of 10 dragon spigots oh Nice. nice i'm not saying it's a perfect movie but we say this all the time these are very subjective ratings for what i wanted and for my level of excitement this movie did not disappoint at all it's true The little pacing issues that Jack alluded to and some of the inconsistent plot stuff, I can totally look past because it does everything else so well. And I fucking love this movie. I strongly suggest everybody check it out because it deserves to be better known than it is.
2: It's true. It was a lot of fun.
1: And I had a great time elevating the movie in our own experience by talking about it with you guys.
2: Absolutely.
1: But, you know, that'll probably do it for us here at Swords & Satire. As always, if you enjoyed the show, you should probably check us out on social media, at Swords & Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you do, you can keep up with the movies we watch, check out our memes, and it's a great way to get in touch with us and let us know what you think about the show.
2: And in case you skipped our plug from earlier, we also have a Patreon, guys. If you want to check it out, you could go to patreon.com slash swords and satire. And if you're there and you're looking around at some of the stuff that we have for anybody, you might see teasers of stuff for people who support us at different tiers and be tempted to join one of them.
1: Give in to your temptation.
2: And if you have the means and you can do that, we would really appreciate it because it helps keep the show going and gives us that little bit of extra support.
0: That's right. But if you don't have the means to support us on Patreon, another great way to support us is to share Swords and Satire with your found family. Yeah. Go share with them the hee hee hahas <laughs> that we provide and the deep analysis that we like to share because the best way to enjoy the things you like is with the people you like.
2: That's right.
1: And you know, maybe give us a review if you like the show. Yeah. But until next time, Hail Crom!